here of the Aftershock. Uh, I wanted to do a reaction given that we just had the signing of Ayo Akinola from TFC. Uh, we're also, of course, getting towards the end of the secondary transfer window. It's not the last moment the teams can make transactions here in MLS, uh, but it's a big deal. It's a big subject of uh, conversation for a lot of Quakes fans. So I want to talk about Akinola. I want to talk a little bit about some comparisons I'm hearing with the Miami window. I think it's an inevitable comparison. Talk about what's going on the rest of this window and then finally look a little bit towards uh, the offseason. So let's first talk about Io Akinola, where this fits into the broader picture. You've seen me talk about on the podcast and write a couple pieces in the blog already. This is fundamentally that depth signing in the attacking space. We all know that this team is short in terms of attacking depth, and particularly short when you lose Cade Cowell to the Gold Cup, an injury here, a suspension there, an international absence there. You know, it, get, it got to be real trouble uh, and limited what, uh, Luchi Gonzalez was able to do. He managed to, you know, figure some things out. Jack Scan looks like he can be a rotation option. Uh, we kind of have found out at this point that Benji Kikanovic is not a preferred option for Luchi Gonzalez. So what they needed, however, was another body up in that front line who could play MLS level minutes. When they went out and got was a guy who's going to serve that depth role. I see a lot of people kind of saying, oh, you know, this isn't the big swing that we all needed. That's true. That's not what this transaction is meant to be. This is not meant to be the equivalent of a DP signing. I always said they needed, you know, one big move to take a, a step forward in the playoff chase. And they actually also needed a depth move and attack as well. This is the second one. And I wouldn't view it as a replacement. And I don't think the club views it as a replacement internally either. So let's talk about uh, Akinola himself and you know what he brings to this club he is kind of a true number nine for me uh i would have liked to have an attacking depth piece that was a little bit more of a flexible option that you could do multiple different things with uh, this this guy is a finisher uh, he wants to be in the box he wants to be the guy on that last ball he's not necessarily himself a creator he's not a dribbler uh, he does have some decent pace. He's strong. He's not particularly tall. He's really kind of more of that poacher type role. So in terms of being able to provide a rotation option for J-Bo that can be a fairly similar like-for-like -like replacement, he can't do everything that J-Bo can do, you know, that's that's what you're getting here. You're not getting a guy who's, you know, can play any of the frontline positions um, a little bit, but isn't really a specialist. In terms of the way his career trajectory has gone, you know, he, he burst out on the scene at 20, 21 years old, uh, was just ripping goals. Uh, he was a hot ticket. The U.S. national team cap or tried to, you know, cap tie him, uh, wanted him. Canadian national team wanted him because he's born in the U.S., but, you know, grew up in Canada and came up through the Toronto system. So he had this really hot start. And if you look at his statistics, he was putting up a lot of expected goals and converting a lot of goals as well at that time. So it's this really hot start. 2021 tears his ACL uh, and kind of really interrupts the momentum there. That's a one-year injury before you get back on the field, and it's usually longer than a year to get to the point where you're back where you were. He has not gotten back to where he was uh, since then. Maybe it's a bit of the injury. Maybe it's a bit of the fact that TFC has really been a dysfunctional situation. Assistant coach Ian Russell uh, was actually one of the assistants at TFC when Iacanola was there. So I'm assuming that this front office has done their diligence and said, you know what, we think that a change of scenery uh, and a little bit more time to remove from that injury 
could rediscover what he's been since then. But if you look since then, it's not particularly pretty. He has not scored a whole bunch of goals, and he's not been very influential. So what this is is a player who absolutely can fill right in for Jay Bo as a substitute kind of level player. Uh, and if he can rediscover any of the form that he had, you know, then maybe you have a real player on your hands. And if you can't, well, that's when we get to this other part, which is what did it cost to get this done? So it cost an international spot, which is currently valued at 150 or so thousand in GAM. The one thing that we got to keep in mind, though, is just because a, a slot trades hands typically at 150 grand doesn't mean that if you have if you're sitting on a bunch of slots, you can just sell all of them at that rate. You know, this isn't like a video game where you can just press a button and it happens. If you have a bunch of a particular asset, you can move that first one for 150 grand. But if you're desperate to sell the rest, it's actually going to trade for less than that. So I think that what the Craigs realize is they actually have a couple slots to sell. Uh, and so therefore, the rest of this season giving away international slot is not even really worth the 150,000. Uh, it's probably less than that that they gave up to get him. In terms of on cap uh, resources, all they're giving up is $75,000 in on-cap space, which is a very small amount. And the reason why is that Akinola is part of the U22 program, and therefore his overall season hit is $150,000, and this would just be an amortized amount of that. So the Quakes are very constrained on those on-cap resources, and they use very little of them to get this across the finish line. No allocation money and just $75,000 on-cap space. There is going to be a decent amount of out-of-pocket money from the ownership group, uh, which I assume fans don't care much about, but you know it does mean that they're going to you know prorate uh, his salary. Now that Toronto FC is kind of in a salary dump mode as they go through a reset, so not a lot of resources expended to get him for the rest of this year. You see whether or not you're getting a little bit of the old player or even the new player, and if you do, they have a buy option, which I understand to be a fairly modest uh, rate for a player of his potential pedigree. I would also note one last thing, which is even though he is a Canadian national teamer, he is a domestic player, both because he's part of the MLS homegrown program, which are automatically domestic no matter what their nationality, and he was also born in the United States and has a U.S. passport. So there's no, there's very little in the way of roster resources used to get this. I would say that this is something like a flyer here. Um, if you can contribute down the stretch, you know, help the team out, add some depth. It's a relatively low cost, but the, the upside is if he potentially rediscovers some of his form. But no, this is not a huge needle mover right now. We'll see in a year and a half if it has anything different than that. Second thing I want to talk about is about the Miami comparisons. I see a lot of this online in the chats and whatever of like, why is Inner Miami able to go out and get a gajillion different guys? Uh, and, you know, we're so constrained. You know, we're not doing that much. These are relatively modest moves. The first thing I want to say is you got to look at the, I, will, I refer to these as the constrained roster versus the unconstrained roster. So the unconstrained roster are DPs. They're the U22 guys. You know, they're the guys that, you know, the ownership can pay as much as they want, and it doesn't really affect their ability to spend on other players within the league mechanisms. The constrained roster is the salary cap, general allocation money, and target allocation money, which is a set rate at this point, uh, which is only used on players who are making above that maximum charge. So for those players, you the San Jose Earthquakes actually have done a much better job than Inter-Miami, because if you look at it, Inter-Miami is the last place team going into this messy acquisition. Those are mostly based on the on-cap constrained mechanisms that they have. So for those constrained mechanisms, you don't see a very high quality club in Inter-Miami. And, you know, I think that the comparison isn't an app one when you're comparing the unconstrained versus the constrained part of the roster. You're also comparing a roster that's already built to one that's getting built. And in terms of those unconstrained assets, 
absolutely have the objection there to a certain extent that the ownership group in San Jose is not going to spend the way that the ownership group in Miami will. Uh, and that does limit their ability to have those unconstrained, really solid assets. But San Jose has done a decent job with his unconstrained assets, getting Christian Espinosa, getting uh, Carlos Croizo, et cetera. The second big thing that's not comparable between San Jose and Miami is generated GAM. And this is true of a bunch of different clubs in MLS as well. When you have big sales out, that generates a bunch of GAM, and it allows that constrained part of the roster to actually expand. So the constraints that are on San Jose are actually much tighter than those clubs that have been able to sell players on for decent fees. So if you look around the league, there's a lot of teams out there that are making big transactions, that are you know doing a lot of work. It's because they've already had those exits. San Jose really badly wants to be one of those clubs that is generating really good exits. They haven't really done so thus far. Marcos Lopez is the biggest one so far, uh, and it was at the very last part of his contracts. They probably didn't maximize it. Cade Cowell will be the next big one, of course, and there may be others as well. But finally, keep in mind, the Messi effect means that the kinds of players that are willing to sign and the numbers at which they're willing to sign are completely different for Miami than they are for you know other clubs. What I basically mean to say is Sergio Busquets is coming in at you know 1.5 million or something a year. He's not going to sign that contract in San Jose because it doesn't have Lionel you know, Messi there, right? So it's these players are available because you have the greatest player of all time available to them, and you have David Beckham, and you have a bunch of other uh, you know effects there. So you're not playing in the same pool here. The San Jose Earthquakes have to be making, you know, Christian Espinosa signings. You know, they have to be making Jeremy Obobese signings. They have to be making those types of moves. They're, they can't be making the Sergio Busquets signing. That's just not the pool that they're swimming in, and it's just not available to them. Anyway, let's go head towards the home stretch here. Let's talk about the rest of the window. Um, there is a possibility that they take that huge swing that I've been alluding to throughout this. I think it would just be a little bit difficult to do, uh, given what they're where they currently sit. I think that they might be able to squeeze a big swing in if they found the exact right guy. I'm sure they would find a, made, a way to make it work, but it would be very tight and difficult. Movement out is really what it would require in order to get that to happen. So, in, And I have not heard any strong rumors that we're getting close to either of those things happening. So if Cade Cowell is you know, gets a, a, a last minute interest and we all of a sudden see a big bid from abroad. If we then, you know, start hearing up of a guy who's going to line up and take his place, you know, then something could happen. But other than that, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see it. But I do think it's possible even without a movement out. And finally, I do think that there's at least some possibility that we will see a Rodriguez announcement uh, kind of in, this, in the near future. So um, because, of course, his, his loan ends at the end of the year and there is an option to buy. And I think the San Jose Earthquakes have decided that they think he's their guy in the long run. With all that, that leaves us and that sets us up for the offseason. In the offseason window, I expect that first thing that they're going to actually have to address is the center back situation. Because you have Yona Mensa, who has kind of fallen out of favor within the team. He makes a lot of money and he's on the older side. So he's not necessarily a long-term solution there. Rodriguez is clearly the other half of the pairing. The, the club likes what they've seen there. Nathan could be a potentially very good player. He's coming off of a very serious injury. It's unknown uh, whether or not he's even under contract next year and who knows what he'll be in terms of a player. So I think that the pairing with Rodriguez is the guy that they're really gonna look to first in the off season to solve. The second thing to solve is about that big DP swing. I think they need a big attacking midfielder, probably a left winger uh, who's going to be able to, you know, shoulder some of the burden in offense other than Christian Espinosa, who's gonna be more a creative spark 
it's gonna be more of a number 10 style, you know, cut inside from the left and create kind of guy. You know, that's something they need really badly. And the only way they're gonna get it is they open up some space. I suspect that Janeiro Montero might not have his option picked up uh, because he is currently in a DP salary. And I'm not sure he's quite giving that level of production that the club needs. Uh, so they might decline his option and maybe try to bring him back on something lower uh, or uh, or let him go entirely. And that would allow a, a free and clear DP slot for a big player to step into uh, as of next year. It would be a bit of a painful loss, but it might be one of the easiest ways to create that space. The other big way to create space, of course, is you get a big bid for KCAL, you sell them on, you convert about a million of that dollars can be converted straight into GAM, uh, and then that will allow kind of a, a big swing as well. And then beyond that, of course, there's going to be plenty of shuffling around the roster to fix up depth. But I suspect those are the two biggest priorities getting in the next season, given that most of the rest of the roster is tied down to contracts in a good age group and relatively good standing. So there you have it. Ayo Akinola, interesting pickup for me. I'm, I'm interested to see what he'll discover in terms of his form. Uh, but I do not think that in any way, shape, or form, this is considered uh, a, a crowning roster achievement that's going to kind of set the roster from here club knows that they have a big transaction that they need to go make in order to escalate to the next level. And it's just a question about when they'll be able to do it, whether it's this summer, this off season, and how to match it up with those big swings in and out. All right. Look forward to seeing the rest of the Leafs Cup. We've got Tigres tomorrow, uh, and you'll hear coverage from Quakes Epicenter, both on the blog, here in the video, after game shows. Stay tuned. Subscribe, like, listen, etc. Subscribe to our Patreon. See you soon. Bye.